Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast to focus on the political side of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer, and with me today, I have Carter Musgrave. He works at an independent pharmacy out in the state of Utah. Carter, can you explain where you work and what your practice is like and where you went to pharmacy school? Yeah, definitely. So right now I work in a small independent pharmacy. The community we're in is very small. It's about 700 people. And what we offer here at this small pharmacy is we really just try to be the health hub for the community because of the low access to health care that we have here. So we do a lot of like vaccines. One thing I was actually just looking at for 2019, so the population of Eden is about 700 people. As I was wrapping up my 2019 numbers, I just saw we gave 702 vaccines for 2019. So it was kind of fun to say, okay, we almost vaccinated every single person in the community. (laughs) But yeah, we give really, you know, we want to give those clinical benefits to the community. So vaccine has kind of been a big and then another part that we focus on is medication adherence. So we make sure and try to take time to talk to the patients. They can call and set up an appointment with me to do a little bit of a medication review and be able to spend some more one-on-one time with the customer. So we try to take more of that clinical side, which is where I think pharmacy is kind of trending. But I love it up here. It's just a small community pharmacy. We're able to you know, offer those services for the people and they love it. And then where I went to school, I went to school at Idaho State. What's interesting is, is you work in a town of 700 people. I've heard quoted from some higher ups at some of the the big chain pharmacies that you can never open a pharmacy if it's smaller than 10,000 people. And I've heard that repeated multiple times (laughs) in my state here of Ohio. And to me, that kind of makes sense with some of the, as we'll get into later, some of the things that PBMs do that kind of limit the population. But you're making a pharmacy survive and thrive in a town of 700 people. That's impressive. Yeah, exactly. And and one thing too that I would that I'd point out is I think a lot of times the publicity pharmacy is getting right now is because we're trying to move forward. A lot of times we see people kind of focusing on the negative aspects of pharmacy because that's how we fix those negative aspects. So that's what we're we're usually talking about on social media. But one thing I would point out is exactly what you said in this small community. Oh, and one thing I forgot to mention is we're actually located inside a grocery store. And so I bring that up because I think specifically uh, grocery store pharmacies, those are kind of the ones we've seen close. But since 2016, I've seen 30% growth as far as just script count in the pharmacy here that I manage. So I just want to bring that up because I feel like we often just see the negative aspects of pharmacy. And I'm often, even myself, I'm often talking about the challenges I face in pharmacy. And so many times people come back to me and say, well, there are ways to, to succeed in pharmacy. You just need to focus on this. You just need to focus on that. But my point to that is we, you know, I am focusing on that. I think, I think if you're a pharmacy that's open today, you are finding other places to succeed. But we are bringing out those challenges because we need to bring them to the surface to fix them. So, yeah, we've been, I've been able to see some awesome growth just in the small community that I work here, and it's been exciting. I'm glad to hear that there's people like you out there who are really making it work in those small towns because, like you said, you're the hub of healthcare. You're what makes it accessible. We're seeing some of the moves to more of these tele services and 
sometimes you know that you just physically need that person there who can access the random questions, access the random phone calls, and really provide that services on a, on a very personal level and understands the neighborhood. You know, when it understands, hey, Mrs. Smith came in to pick this up, or she might have to drive out here to get this. You might understand some of those struggles that she faces and why it's so hard to be relatable to them and really help. I won't say necessarily commiserate, but understand what they're going through. Yeah, no, exactly. That is the case. Is when I got into pharmacy. You know, I wanted to be a pharmacist because I, I knew it was the most accessible healthcare provider, but I had no idea the extent I would get to know my patients. Cause, and, and in the small community, it's interesting because my patients, they're my, my friends, my neighbors. You know, I see them everywhere throughout the community. And how well I get to know them, I usually can name off the top of my head most of the medications they're on, <laughs> even a lot of their allergies before I even pull up their profile. So it's been awesome to get to really know the patient and really help be their advocate as far as medications. And I think that's huge. That's actually the reason I got into pharmacy too. Some of the listeners might know my mom was a pharmacist and she worked right next to the town we lived in. And a lot of times when we'd go to the grocery store or wherever we were going, we'd have those same interactions. Or I should say she'd have those same interactions that you're talking about. And it's nowhere near the small town you're describing of 700 people. They're much bigger than that. We're a small town out here and we're about 5,000 people where I was where I grew up in. So 10 times your size and it's still considered a small town. Yeah. But, you know, the funny thing is, is she worked for a chain pharmacy. You don't. And so you can still have that impact no matter where you work. And that kind of leads into what we're talking about today was why some of the chain pharmacies or chain pharmacists should worry about the things that are going on with PBMs. Some of them might think, well, hey, my pharmacy owns that PBM. Why am I worried about it? It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because that's still my business. But at the same time, they're still seeing hours cut and things like that. In fact, you and I were recently on a call to discuss some of the issues with PBMs and what they're creating for pharmacists. And you brought up a, the perspective on that call that was different than what everyone else was. A lot of people were independent pharmacists or people who run hospital pharmacies with an outpatient pharmacy, something of that nature that's yeah. a little more spread out and doesn't have some of the, the pull and the number of pharmacists that maybe like a big chain would have. You mentioned that you think there should be more of an outreach to those chain and community pharmacists to address the PBM issue, not just independence. And I think that really kind of blew up because since that call, we've had two New York Times articles that have just opened up the doors to the public as to what we're facing in pharmacy that have been absolute game changers. I think I have hundreds of friends who are pharmacists on just Facebook alone, and I think every one of them shared at least one of those articles. Why do you believe that more pharmacists who work for these chains or big box stores should speak up about these issues? Yeah, so before I started in my current position, I first took a job with Walgreens, then I accepted a job from CVS, and then I ended up here at, at this pharmacy. So I've had experience in those chain pharmacies. And one of the main things that was important to me was I was able to see the workflow and a lot of the challenges that you face in these chain pharmacies. It was that experience that helped me kind of get this perspective. And I feel like today, a lot of the challenges we're seeing in pharmacy, whether it's PBM or regulations or how we are viewed as healthcare providers, I think that a lot of that stems from division. I feel like since I've gotten in pharmacy, there's so much division. You have you know, the independent pharmacists, and they kind of stick to themselves. You have the clinical role pharmacists, and they kind of stick to themselves. And then you have MTM pharmacists or all these different branches of pharmacy. And I feel like there's been a huge division there, meaning you know, they kind of kept to themselves didn't really focus on things that really affect the pharmacy community as a whole. And it's through that division that I think has kind of gotten us to where we are today with some of the challenges that we're facing. Going back to your question, 
I think it's important for people to realize these employees at the chain pharmacy, some of the best pharmacists, hands down, that I know work at these chains. So I've seen on social media specifically, they kind of are saying it's the pharmacist's fault that this happened or, you know, I don't really have a close connection with my pharmacist at a chain. And I just wanted to bring up that these chains have some of the best pharmacists in the industry. But there's certain things that are really taking away from the pharmacist's greatness or the employee's greatness. I think it's important to understand why those challenges exist and what we can do to fix them. So back to your question on chain pharmacies and how they're affected. Even if the pharmacy you work for owns the PBM, that brings me to DIR fees, direct and indirect remuneration fees. These are fees that are taken after the point of sale. So, for example, you sell your medication. 60, 90 days later, all of a sudden, this DIR fee comes out. That really affects the budget. And so if you try to look at that on a personal level, so we've seen a few reports come out that these DIR fees have increased 1,600% over the last five years. That's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. So we call it a DIR fee. But it's a mandatory fee. So the way I look at it is it's a tax. It's mandatory, so it's a tax. And I think the best way to relate this to the pharmacist working at CVS or the pharmacist you know, working anywhere is imagine that your taxes have increased 1,600% over the last five years. And they're increasing at such a rate, you have no idea what they're going to be next year. What are you going to do individually to prepare for this tax or this DIR fee? You're going to cut back. You're going to cut back and cut back because you don't know at the end of the year how much money you're going to have. And this is what's happening to the budget of pharmacies. And that's one point I want to bring up. So let's take CVS. CVS still pays DIR fees. These are fees that are issued from Medicare. So even big chain pharmacies, they are paying DIR fees as well. It's not just we see a lot of independent pharmacies talking about DIR fees, but chain all pharmacies pay DIR fees. And so imagine whoever does your budget, I don't know if it's a manager, a district manager, or whatever, imagine trying to sit down and project future payroll hours and having these DIR fees that are exploding. And so I think that's the biggest thing right now, and I think we're seeing that through these articles that you mentioned that have been posted about the workplace environment declining and pharmacists just feeling chaos inside the pharmacy is as a pharmacy manager, someone trying to set payroll hours, these DIR fees are really making it difficult to project how much money is in the budget to increase payroll. And so I think DIR fees are one specific issue that really show up in the pharmacy by understaffing the employees. Yeah, you hit a lot there, and I'm going to kind of unpack some of it, but the one of the big things is working in a chain pharmacy, even myself, we don't always see the level of exposure you're talking about. We don't sit there and have a budget line for that says DIR fee increase year over last. We just have script volume, dollars and cents, tech hours, pharmacist hours, those type of things. So we don't necessarily have the exposure to it, but that doesn't mean it's not impacting us, which is exactly what you kind of said there. And I'm glad you brought that up that, you know, it might be a district manager, a regional manager, regional vice president, something higher up that is, that is seeing that that might not be exposed to it like the ma- pharmacy manager is or you are where you practice currently. The other thing you mentioned right. was 
getting to know your patients a lot and having less hours and people might not have that connection with their pharmacist. This is where I think the chain pharmacists can really step up a lot and it's going to help them in the long run. If they step up and advocate for some of these changes, whether it be DIR reform, provider status, insert the litany of issues that we've talked about in this podcast before or that you mentioned there, that can help their job be more rewarding and also help their job by reducing stress and letting them make those connections, letting them practice at the top of their education, let alone top of their license, so they can really take care of people. Like you're doing out there in Utah. I mean, you hit almost 100% flu shot rate, which that's amazing. (laughs) I'm sure you probably, where you work, had a few maybe ski bums come in and out that forgot to get theirs and got it. But at the same time, that's also just shows how effective you are that, you know, if you look at how many you gave, if every pharmacy did that, we'd have a lot less issues with flu in this country and a lot less deaths and hospitalizations driving down costs. But because you're a little bit slower and you do have the full management, you do have that engagement, that allows you to practice at that high level, which is what we want all of the pharmacies and all of the pharmacists to do, especially if they're working for chains because they deal with more people, they can have more impact across the whole country. The other thing that you mentioned was the division within pharmacy. And you kind of mentioned chain versus independent. That alone is a little bit of a division just because the the processes and the the levels that you have to really manage the pharmacy or the just the kind of the dynamics of it, right? And the competition of it, if you even if you will. But on top of that, you also have hospital versus clinical pharmacists, which you did mention a bit too. And those are a whole nother people that we need to get in this fight. Like you said, there's a lot of division in pharmacy. We think, oh, clinical, this is my role. I don't deal with billing or dispensing medications. That's for, you know, there's other pharmacists over here. But really, it all ties in because we need those services to kind of go all across our whole profession. You know, next thing you know, if all of a sudden the pharmacy is making no money off the dispensing part, yeah, they might be making or they might be making money or being more efficient with that clinical side, but cuts are going to come somewhere. And who knows if they might be the next ones to fall. They might not be seeing it now, but that could happen next per se. And that's what that would be scary to me if I was working in that field. I don't think it will necessarily happen right away, but it could happen. And then the last thing you mentioned was all these different pharmacy organizations. I'm kind of glad to see that I had him on the podcast before, Dr. Scott Knower, who's now taking over for the CEO role of APHA, is really looking to help unite and fight together with a lot of these organizations. And I think that's going to be huge and something we need to do moving forward, no matter if it's PBMs, if it's provider status or whatever it is. That's something that as pharmacists, like you said, we're so divided. We need to, we need to start walking together with some of these fights, whether it directly impacts our job or not, just because we know that, hey, this affects our profession and it impacts patient care overall and health spending. Is that something you would kind of agree with? Yes, definitely. And I, I have been so excited about Scott Knorr coming on board just from the little bit I've seen since they made that announcement. It's, he's really gotten me excited exactly for the reasons that you said is I think he's going to help unite us and kind of the excitement that he's shown for uh, the profession of pharmacy that's really gotten me excited. I'm really anxious to see what APHA can do and what Scott Knorr can help, help do for us as a profession. Yeah, he's a he's a spunky fighter, and I like that. I don't think he's afraid to scrap it up a little bit if you follow him on social media anywhere. And I kind of like that because that's that's the way I kind of am. I play it down a little bit on the podcast just so I can be a little more even on the political side. But at the same point, <laughs> I uh, I really love that because that's the, that's who I am at my heart of hearts. So why do you think that maybe more chain pharmacists, since that's what we're focusing on, haven't spoken up to some of these PBM issues? Is it the lack of overall knowledge of the topic because they're not exposed to it the way you are? Yeah, I think that, you know, it gets confusing because so you work for a pharmacy that also owns a PBM and 
you don't want to speak badly about a company that you work for. And so I think the big thing is to notice, take a step back and realize these are two separate entities that fixing an issue with one entity doesn't necessarily mean that you're speaking out badly about a company that signs your paychecks. And so I think understanding the relationship between pharmacy and PBM and just seeing, hey, you know, I see that there's been a shift in money. The, the money for dispensing no longer goes to the pharmacy. It's, it's shifted now to the PBM. And I think DIR fees are a great specific place to start on movement of money from the pharmacy to the PBM. And I think it's a great point for these chain pharmacists to understand that connection and then to understand that. So, for example, if you want to help make a difference, go to your state representative, your local representative, and talk to them about DIRs. You know, educate yourself on these fees so you can go and have a conversation with your local representatives and be able to say, hey, I feel like I'm having a declining work environment because of X, Y, and Z. And I think DIR fees is an important part of that. But I think pharmacists need to get involved, specifically the chain pharmacists, and understand, okay, now is the time to either get into politics or get out of pharmacy. Because so much of what we do is political. So much of our reimbursements is political. So chain pharmacists need to speak up. And they need to understand that working on fixing a problem in the industry isn't working against the company that you work for. It's helping that company to provide better care because the better care is going to come in way of extra help in the pharmacy so that the pharmacist can focus on what they're trained to do. Yeah, and the one quote you said there, and I know you didn't make it up. I know I've heard it from somebody else higher up in pharmacy. I just can't think of the name at the moment. But get into politics or get out of pharmacy. Because exactly what yes, you said, yes. everything that we're doing is impacted by policy or impacted by something else that'll be impacted by policy. And it's just a one or two degree connection with what we're doing because you hear drug prices in the news. You hear the presidential candidates talking about it, whether it be Klobuchar, Yang, Bernie with Medicare for All or Warren. You're hearing that everywhere when you look at just politics in general. You're hearing us discussed. And that's I get, that's actually probably one of the reasons I started this podcast. I was like, look, I'm sick of sitting here having all these you know thoughts and then not being able to share them with people. So I wanted to be able to have discussions and interviews with people like you so we can get these topics out there in some sort of a more coherent discussion so that people can start sharing them or can take them. You know, maybe they didn't think about it. They can take the idea and run with it for some example of, hey, that's a good idea. I like that. Or I like this, but I'll put my own little spin on it. And I really think that's an important important piece here when it comes to pharmacy. I'm not saying everybody has to go run for political office. I'm just saying you do need to re make sure you know who your even state and local reps are so that you can reach out to them about some of these policies that are being formed about our profession without some of our insight, some of our knowledge, and just our general professionalism. Yes, and that's one of the big things that kind of got me kind of to the, the position I am right now as far as you know coming on this podcast and wanting to talk about these issues is we don't learn about these issues while we're at work. You know, we're so focused on patient care and on all those issues that pharmacy face while you're at work that you don't get that exposure to these issues while you're at work. So you kind of have to do it on your off time. And podcasts have been a big part of me getting a, a better understanding of what's happening in pharmacy, why things are the way they are. And so that's what's really helped me be able to speak up is things I've learned from podcasts you know, LinkedIn has been an awesome source for me. I, yeah, I'm LinkedIn's new to awesome. It. Yeah, I'm new to it. And, and what it does is it helps you see trends in your profession 
and it helps you connect with people. And I've been able to learn so much from my connections on LinkedIn. But yeah, I think podcasts have been a huge help for me. Well, I'm, I'm glad helping that helping get me where I am. I'm glad that you you're a big fan of podcasts, as am I. I've learned. I mean, just even outside of pharmacy, I've learned business things from it that helped me with investments or you know buying commercial property stuff like that. But the other thing about yeah. that I think is unique with pharmacy and politics, we don't have to pick a side. Both sides want to impact pharmacy and in a positive manner for taxpayers and the you know, overall health of the health of the patients and of the nation. So we're kind of that really weird point where we're neutral. Now, some people might think, oh, we need to do this and we need to do this and we can weigh in with our professional thoughts on it. But most of the time, I could walk into either a Republican, a Democrat, a Libertarian, a Democratic Socialist, whatever it is, and I can still have the same issue and the same talking points about what we need to fix or how we need to fix it or what can be done to fix it, which I think makes us really yeah. unique. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great point. And I think it comes from the bottom line is, as a pharmacist, I'm here for my patient. I'm here for one thing and one thing only, and that's to help the patient. And so I want to make sure that I'm pushing changes that in the end result helps the patient. I'm not pushing issues that just help independent. I'm not pushing issues that just help chain. My end goal in all of this is to help the patient. And I think you bring up a great point because it doesn't matter where you are in that spectrum that you mentioned. We want better health care. Yep. Uh, and I think that's that's huge. Kind of digressing from that a bit to one of the earlier points you made of the small cuts that have been being made to pharmacy and not providing patient care. I always use a lot of car analogies. So if you look at a car manufacturing and the end product of a car being positive health care or the best possible outcome, I always look at pharmacy yeah. as like the sheet metal of a car where the backbone where it form it. And a lot of medicine and a lot of healthcare can't necessarily be done without pharmacy somewhere in the mix. It's got to be in there. But if you keep making cuts to the thickness or the quality of that metal, you're going to have a weaker overall car. And that's the way I look at pharmacy. Yeah, you can still have like the surgeons, the doctors are the engines, the one who really drive it and are making some, a lot of the major decisions. But where what hold it all together? Because most internal medicine docs, you know, they're great at what they do. But without the drugs, they can't necessarily treat the patient. We can't treat hypertension by just saying, you know, diet and exercise only goes so far for some people. You can't just say, have better blood pressure. No, you have to say, here's a drug to help you have better blood pressure. So that's the way I look at it. I'm not sure what listeners think. Maybe it's my Midwestern, uh, we're the car hub of the, the United States. So I look at everything in the aspect of cars. But would you agree with that analogy? <laughs> yeah, most definitely. I think that's a great analogy. And I also think that as pharmacists, the industry relies on our license. If you remove PBMs, what happens to the pharmacy industry? We can still move forward. We can still dispense the, the prescriptions. If you remove the pharmacist, nothing gets dispensed. And so the, the PBMs, the big chain, the independent, they all have one thing in common, and that is that they rely on our licenses as pharmacists. And so we need to be able to help guide the industry because we need to make sure that we are put in a position to practice at the top of our licenses and help our patients. If you look at most, most pharmacies, what people think of, right, whether it be like the big chain stores, without the pharmacy there, they're essentially just a glorified 7-Eleven. And that shows you how important we are to their business. <laughs> right. Another thing, too, is you know, as pharmacists, there's very few industries out there that if one person leaves the building, the entire... <laughs> operation shuts down. Very true. And that's what happens in pharmacy. So we do have a big impact there. And so we need to kind of back to what I said, I feel like if we unite, we can help bring about change. Yeah. And I think that's the key thing here is, you know, we need the 
you know, you might work for one of these chains that owns a PBM, but you really need to kind of come to this fight. If you're not at the table, you're probably on the table, for lack of a better term. And I think that's what we've been for too long is we haven't been at that table helping make those decisions or influence policies or even just sending a letter that's formulated from your state organization to your state rep saying, hey, I support this because, you know, even doing that little action is in one more pop-up that they see of a pharmacist interaction, a pharmacist who cares about what they're doing. And I think, you know, that's another way just to be at the table is even sending those more basic things that your state orgs are really putting out there because they're advocating for you and for your profession and for your license. You know, almost every state right now is working on bills for pharmacy. So I think for for anyone listening right now, you know, if you're not involved in any type of pharmacy bill or pharmacy movement in your state, those things are happening. They're just happening without you. So I think the main thing to do is is do some things to reach out and get an idea of what's happening and how you can get involved with those things that are happening. For a pharmacist that works at a big chain, it's it's simple. Just Google your state and Google pharmacy bills and, and chances are you're gonna get some some ideas on bills that are being presented or bills that are trying to be passed. And then you can follow the sponsors. And these sponsors are your state representatives. And you can call your state representative. You can give them, shoot them an email. You can send them a letter. But I think that's a big point is things are happening on a state level, whether you're getting involved or not. And so you need to get involved so that you can bring your expertise into those changes. And that's how you do it is with your state local representative. And it's as simple as a phone call. It's as simple as an email. Um, And that's what I've been working on. And I've seen some awesome changes just from these simple contacts that I'm making and simple communication with my state representatives. You know, people always get intimidated by them because of the power they have. But a lot of times they're not the experts in pharmacies unless they are a pharmacist. Now, there are some out there in certain states or certain, you know, even nationally who are pharmacists who do know these things. But otherwise, they're, they need input. They, they need to understand that what they do, how it will have an impact and further down the line because they're worried about their legacy and what they're doing as well. And adding on to your point, if you Google your state house of reps, state senate, or even obviously federally, you can click on that person once you find out who it is from where you live. Usually you can put in your address and it'll link you to where, whoever your representatives are. You can click that person and see what bills they've sponsored and see what bills they've co-sponsored. Now, they might have some jargon like, SB for Senate Bill 5 or something, you know, just generic like that. But if you click it, a lot of times you can, it'll pop up and you can see on the top a little summary of here's what this bill affects. Or if you, you know, go to their profile, it'll say here's the topics they're interested in, here's the committees they sit on. And usually there's some like little links that say that have just some news releases that have come out of their office recently that you can click and usually go back to a bill or something they're doing. So all those stuff, and that's just on the internet, you can do it at home nice and quietly very non-confrontational, which I'm sure a lot of pharmacists will enjoy since we're more of those not-so-extroverted yeah. personalities. But yeah, I think that's a, you know, it's a good way, like you said, to really make a big impact by even just making those simple contacts, and they will reach out to you. It might not be the next day. It might not be the next week, but usually they'll get back to you in some context about some of the ideas you might have shared with it. All right, so what are some other good ways you think pharmacists, especially chain pharmacists, need to stay informed and to help get involved? Is there any, like, best ways that you'd recommend to them to help kind of keep up on some of these issues? Yeah. So for me, when I hear that question, I think of, I need something that can get me the information easily. And I think one that we've kind of already hit on that's awesome is podcasts. You know, it's so easy to, to click on a podcast and listen to it, whether you're driving to work, whether you're home relaxing. But I think podcasts have been a great resource for me. I think secondly, LinkedIn is helping me make some great connections. 
you know, I've only been a pharmacist for five years now, so I'm a little bit new to the game, but there's people on LinkedIn that have been advocating for pharmacy for years. So it's been awesome to be able to have that access and the power to be able to send that person a message and they respond. I mean, that's powerful. So LinkedIn's been a great source for me. And then I think the third one is finding a group that you believe in and help support that group. So for me, with Scott Canoa coming on board, that's really energized me to want to support APHA because I think they are now driving issues that impact me specifically, but they they impact the entire profession of pharmacy. Another great group that I've supported is Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency. And they have on their website awesome information, simplified infographs on PBMs and really how the pharmacy chain works and the pharmacy payment model. And so PUTT has really been a great resource for me. And I really think they are they are driving change in our industry. So I've decided to help and support them. And so I think that's what it is. And I'm, and I'm not saying, hey, you need to go support these groups that, that I've found to be supportive. But I think the big thing is it's time. It's time for you to find a group that you believe in that's going to help bring change to pharmacy and change in a way that you believe in and help support those groups. You know, one of the big things too is even – you know, like you said, with those groups, supporting your state orgs or supporting those groups when they go do something at a capital or at a political event. I forget which state it was, but I saw recently on top of the multiple legislative days with student with students that have showed up that have been record setting. I know my state of Ohio had over 300 students show up for their uh, state legislative day. But on top of that, I saw another one where there was over 750 pharmacists showed up. And you have 750 people at a state capital or at an event that are all wearing their white coats and all share the same title. Those people are going to listen, especially when it's about something that they want to make a change to. They might, you know, if they had something that you were against, they they might listen a little harder as to why is everyone in this industry against what I'm doing. Yes, exactly. And that's one of the big things. And we just had a meeting at our um, state capitol. And it is exactly because what happens is these state representatives, they have to, you know, their time's limited just like ours. So they have to focus on things that are important. Their time might be more limited are, than ours. <laughs> Yes, yes, exactly. More limited. You really have to be efficient when when dealing with these issues. So, for example, if you show up to um, the state capitol and there's two pharmacists, is this policy really affecting their constituents? Is this policy really affecting the people that they represent? But then all of a sudden, now you come to a a meeting and there's 750 pharmacists, then definitely this is going to get the time it needs because they're able to see you know, 750 people don't show up for nothing, especially in a uh, pharmacy setting. Like me, when I went to our state capitol, I probably had to reach out to over 10 pharmacists to try to get me covered. <laughs> and so it's not like I can just, you know, close the pharmacy up for a few hours and come back and get back to work. But it, it took, you know, sacrifice on my part to give up those payroll hours. But it was also difficult to find someone to cover. So I, it, back to your point on numbers are important when we deal with this because that's how our representatives are able to see visually that what they're working on is making an impact and affects the people that they represent. I totally agree with you on the kind of back to the original question here since we got a little tangential was LinkedIn is amazing for this stuff. There's a number of groups. I would definitely just, you know, start adding your friends on there and see what they're sharing and kind of dig deeper from there. You can also put pharmacy in any sort of search engine or, you know, PBM or whatever topic you want to 
you feel like advocating for, feel like speaking up on, and you can find groups on it. Putt's another, they're great because what they're doing affects basically every single pharmacist out there. P-U-T-T, Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency. They're amazing with some of the stuff they're putting out. They have local state organizations that have been showing up at capitals and doing things like that. They have their own podcast too, actually, currently. I would love to get them on here myself, but then it's pretty good information about what they're what they're advocating for. On top of that, you know, social media, if you look on Facebook, there's tons of groups. Obviously, you have mine. I try and keep mine neutral to most states. It has a little bit of Ohio bias just because that's where I'm from, where I get more of my information from. But one that doesn't, that kind of rings through true for all states with issues like this, the Columbus Dispatch, which is located in Columbus, Ohio, has done amazing stuff on kind of opening the black box on some of these pharmacy issues. So I would highly recommend if anyone wants, go to Columbus Dispatch. I don't remember how expensive it is. I want to say it's like a dollar a week or something like that for the premium access. And the articles they have, I think they're now at 100 well over 100. I think it's like 130 something total total articles on just pharmacy, the PBM issues, drug pricing. And I'll be dead honest with you. When I read it, I usually end up agreeing with it. So I think that there's a nice, I don't want to say positive pharmacy slant, if you will, but it reflects what a lot of pharmacists are seeing and experiencing. So Columbus Dispatch, I can't plug them enough. They've done an amazing job. Obviously, the New York Times article spread like wildfire. If you combine that with what the Columbus Dispatch has done, Man, some of these old school newspapers are really crushing it when it comes to this, the topics of healthcare and pharmacy, which I'm, I hope keeps them in business if they're reporting on things that have that positive of a change politically. Can you list some organizations that you might have worked with? Maybe, obviously, you talked about PUT or Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency on here, but some other groups that you might have worked with for organizing. Did you work with your state board? Did you work with APHA, any of those? Yeah, so the Utah Pharmacy Association, they were there and they helped us organize. But to be honest with you, it was or P-U-T-T that really helped start this off. And then I know we've mentioned LinkedIn a bunch, but it was LinkedIn that helped organize us as pharmacists to show up to this meeting. Without LinkedIn, there probably would have been a handful of pharmacists there. But because we had LinkedIn and we had that connection, we were able to basically, we filled the room. We had people standing on the wall, you know, by the walls. And it was because of LinkedIn that that happened. A couple other ones that really helped me is 46 Brooklyn have now started to gathering data. And that was one of the biggest weaknesses we had as pharmacies. We just had, you know, a lot of times we've had one-off claims. Let's say we had an issue with a reimbursement. We had one claim to show as an example. And now 46 Brooklyn has been able to take huge data sets and put them together. And that's what's really going to drive change. So 46 Brooklyn has been awesome. The last one I would mention is uh, PBM Watch is another great spot that helped get me the education I needed to be able to feel comfortable to go and speak to these state representatives. So PBM Watch um, and 46 Brooklyn, I think those are two great resources. You know, all those ones are great you mentioned, but personally I've had a lot of interaction with some of the people behind the scenes on 46 Brooklyn. Eric Packman is amazing at what he did. He's one of the guys who really helped crack one of the biggest articles that showed the, the pricing spread that PBMs were doing. We all knew they were doing, but we couldn't prove it in the Columbus Dispatch and with some of these other topics and got the Ohio Attorney General involved. He is amazing. He's not a pharmacist, but trust me, he's advocating for our profession on this one. He is really motivated by bringing prices down and really just kind of doing the right thing. He wants to, like, when I was talking with him, his biggest thing was do the right thing to make a positive impact. And I believe, if I remember correctly, it's a nonprofit. And the name, although you think it would be based in New York, it's not. It's a... 
it's named something after I think his grandma or mother. And so it's it's really personal to him, which is, you know, that's what he wants to do this kind of like as a way to like help honor, fight for her and things like that. So what he's doing with awesome. that is is amazing. And I will say it's the most pure, probably one of the most pure groups I've seen in the pharmacy field because what he's he's not a pharmacist, but what he's advocating for is positive change so that most people, more people can have affordable prescriptions and things of that. He has these crazy stats, these crazy spreads. He puts out a quarterly, did prices go up and down based off this metric or what about this metric? It can get really nerdtastic, but I think we need that because that's the black and white things that help show what we're talking about to people like legislators to make a positive difference. So, hey, Eric Packman, love to have you on again here too, but what you do is amazing and whether you come out or not, I love the work that you're putting out there. So can't can't compliment him enough with that. Agreed. Agreed. And I, I really think 46 Brooklyn is what they're bringing a piece of the puzzle that we haven't ever had before. Yep. Um, so I think whatever change that we can bring to the industry, a lot of that's going to be from the work that 46 Brooklyn's uh, doing. Yeah. And if anyone, people can go follow them, support them read their stuff. It, like I said, it gets nerdy, but man, when it comes to quality, it's second to none. They do work with three access advisors pretty closely too, who we've seen expose a lot of the things in, in the different states. And I've mentioned multiple times on this podcast. So again, those are just some of the ones I listen to to get, to get some information. All right. So one thing I want to ask you here before I wrap up this podcast, same questions I ask everybody who comes on here. So I hope you're ready for them. If you could change one thing about pharmacy overall, what would you change? That's a great question. I think if I had to pick one thing, it would be the reimbursement model. To be able to start from the ground up, start a reimbursement model that paid pharmacies and pharmacists for their services and, and not necessarily for increasing their prescription volume. I think that's a big key is finding a reimbursement model that pays for our clinical services that we perform in the pharmacy and doesn't focus on script volume and prescription filling speed. Do you have any suggestions for that? I'm just curious because that's like that's a common thread we have here. Yeah, so it's tough, and I've thought about I've thought about this topic a bunch, and it's it really is a challenging situation. But one thing that I think is interesting is like as a pharmacist, when I sit back and think of like just last week, I was thinking of my week and the things that I did that didn't get billed for that didn't get really even mention of. For example, uh, a, far, a doctor writes a prescription for morphine. They accidentally pick the morphine concentrate instead of the regular morphine. Uh-oh. The dose ends up being five times higher than what they originally wanted that essentially would have given 100 milligrams of morphine per dose. You know, is easily a lethal dose of morphine. I stopped that. You know, I saw that. I caught it, called the doctor, changed it, dispensed it to the patient. Well, the patient didn't even know that happened. The insurance company, I think I made like $2 off of of the prescription that I dispensed. (laughs) But a model that could say, hey, you know, this is the work that I just did for your patient. And this is the billing code for that. Like a, a major drug interaction like that, or a major, you know, basically a lethal dose of an opioid was stopped because of the work of a pharmacist. And I'm not just saying this for me, but this happens Pharmacists are doing this everywhere all day, but it doesn't get noticed. And so I think a great way would be to have billing codes in place that we could actually say, hey, this is what happened. I changed the drug from this to this. Here's the documentation that I did that. And then here's what I'm billing you for it. I think that would be a great, a great way. 
you know, and I've, I've had similar issues, whether it be like allergies or major doses, issues like that. And I tried to go bill them through the MTM platform we use at work if the patient was eligible. Keyword, if the patient was eligible, because not all patients are eligible for MTM services. And, I, and I've caught stuff right. like that, and I build it through, and then I've got it rejected. So I didn't even get like a you know, $5, $10, whatever it is the MTMs are paying now for, for making that change. And I was like, wait a minute. This was the biggest impact I could have had. If I would dispense this wrong, and like you said, if it was in your case something that could have been fatal, I could have been sued for it. But for doing the right thing, I really get no incentive to do the right thing. My only incentive is not to do the wrong thing, basically. And I think that's what you're talking yeah. about is how we, how we need to change this. I would love to see someone, whether it's Outcomes, who probably has the biggest platform to do it, or another upstart, the kind of venture capital-funded, who knows, whatever thing, come in and try and go reach out to the insurances and say, hey, look, here's kind of what we're set up. Here's how we're going to try and take care of this to help improve some of the pharmacy services that you guys are giving to patients and some of the overall health care. And it might be we have to upload a prescription image or something like that. But I think either way, as long as we just docu- kind of have a way to document it, this could be huge for our profession in doing that. Yeah. Yep. So if you could have one pharmacy law you change, federal or state, what would it be and why? No, I think I've got to go with TBM reform on this one. I know, uh, I think prescriptive authority for pharmacists is an important issue. I don't put that one first just because I came into this game, I came into this profession realizing that I, I wouldn't have prescriptive authority. So I'm going to put PM reform above that just because I didn't realize when I got into this that PBMs were not reimbursing pharmacies appropriately. So uh, I think this way I go with PBM reform. All right. Yeah. So I, prescriptive authority is another big one that we could do a whole series on of podcasts, let alone just one. But I, I do think I'm glad you brought that one up. But PBM reform, I think, is what is going to make or break our industry here in the next even months, let alone a couple of years. So that could be huge. Yep. Agreed. All right. Well, hey, thanks for coming on, Carter. I appreciate it. People can always find you on LinkedIn in a professional setting, like you said. That's a great way that I've connected with you and how we even met up to meet this podcast and how we've kind of shared some thoughts back and forth and various topics that affect our profession. So definitely go and find Carter on LinkedIn. That's a good way to uh, get to connect and help learn of some of the things we're talking about on here. Otherwise, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you have any questions, you can always email me at politicalpharmacist at gmail.com. Or leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. Leave us a five-star review as well. That helps people find us. We're currently five stars on Apple Podcasts, which is awesome. Thank you, everyone, who's given us a review. I appreciate that a lot. It helps me know that what I'm putting out there, people are enjoying. Otherwise, thanks again for listening. And thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics. Thank you.